When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. But a champion becomes a legend! McCarty Debra's won it! Perkins goes in first. What a legend. What a champion. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. What a pleasure it is to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the sporting life of a man who made his mark in the great sport of tennis. And it's topical that we should speak to my guest this morning after a very successful Australian Open. He was part of the Australian scene for so long. A Grand Slam winner, an Olympic champion, Mark Woodford. Welcome. Hey, good to see you. You Thank too. You for having me. Um, we didn't really bump into each other that much at the recently uh, completed Australian Open, but then again, when you have seven or 800,000 people there, it's pretty <laughs> hard to do that. It was phenomenal. It's, it's remarkable how how much uh, the Australian Open has has grown over time. I know you were super busy. I would have liked to have been a, 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 a tad more busy than, than what I was, but I, I know I was uh, in bed for the... F- I feel like I missed the first week, though, because I was uh, hit with a virus. So I actually got to watch a bit of the Australian Open from TV, which is on TV, which is unusual for me. What did you think um, of the television presentation because of the switch of networks? Yeah. Um, it went from seven to nine this year, and uh-huh. given the fact that you were able to see a bit of it, what was your critique about it? Yeah, look, look, um, I, I think it's going to evolve into a you know a solid product. I mean, tennis. Uh, there's so many sensational stories um, at Grand Slam play, and. Uh, um, yeah, I, I thought they I thought they did a very solid job, and I think they're just going to be much more polished in 2020. Gee, there were a lot of viruses going around, weren't there? Um, Craig Tizer, who was Ash Barty's coach, yeah, was yeah. not well throughout the Open and basically had to stay away from Ash uh, in fear of giving her the bug. So a lot of people actually got the lurgy during the uh, tennis. Well, as you know, when even in the media, when you're working either radio or, yeah. or TV, so you know, I, I didn't come down on site for a few days and uh, you know, just in fear that if someone else picks it up with their voice. But um, you know, I came back with a little. Little smokiness uh, when, when I was on radio, and still having a little bit there. It's it's been a tough one to uh, to get over because I'm I'm usually not sick, but hey, I'm I'm not anywhere near the fitness levels than what I used to be either. Did you enjoy the radio coverage? Uh, tennis is an interesting sport on radio because obviously uh, television, the pictures tell the story to a large extent, but in radio, you've got to paint the picture. Was that an enjoyable experience for you? I, I do enjoy. Uh, you know, working behind the mic on on radio, uh, um, you know, it's split, split between SEN and their, their coverage, as well as BBC Five Live. And um, you, you know, I've, I've worked alongside of the the people at BBC for a number of years now. We help out at Wimbledon as well. I think they're so polished. I, I sit there at times and I forget I've got to be watching the court because I'm watching the the commentators who uh, are sitting beside me. 
and the way that they are, are able to paint that picture. They they um, d- just do an extraordinary job at it. So uh, I'm, I'm thankful I'm not the one that's forehand down the line, backhand cross court. Yes. I'd, I'd certainly bugger it up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think I probably would too. I think I'll stick to the television side of it. Uh, what about your impressions of the Open, Woody? It was, um, I thought it was a brilliant Open in that we saw the old guard still there, but we saw the young guard emerging, uh, the next gen, if you like, coming through mm. the ranks. They've been knocking on the door for um, a, a number of seasons, and I don't think um, that there have been a, a group of players. And we're not trying to say that they have not had successful careers, but I, I guess I'm, I'm alluding to a, a Songer and a Monfils, perhaps a Burdick, mm. a, a Richard Gasquet. Um, there's been so much hope that they would actually inflict more defeat on the top four. Uh, and they just haven't been able to crack that code. I, I, I think over the last 12 months, there's been an, uh, an, an increase in those or, or that it's heightened the possibility with the uh, with uh, Alex Verov. Uh, I don't want to be talking about his brother, sorry. <laughs> but, yes. um, you, you know, he has been able to pick up wins over Rafa and, and Roger and Novak and do it on different surfaces. Uh, and for me, the, the real find of the tournament um, was Stefano Tsitsipas. Mm. I, I was just enthralled when he stepped onto the court. Um, I'm sure he'd be a little disappointed that he went out in straight sets against Rafa. I think he had a lot of hope there to um, possibly pick up a win. But I think uh, his his wins that he's experienced at at uh, the AO this past, uh, um, uh, you, you know, a few weeks ago, that... Um, you, you, you know the next generation. There, I think they're, this generation is a little better prepared to step up. Obviously, the aging process for Roger Novak and Rafa is Andy injuries as well, catching up to these guys. So um, you know they they might ele- it might elevate their chances. But Sitsipas for me was was just absolutely brilliant. Love his game. Yeah, and from the women's side of things too, Ash getting as far as she did, even though Kvitova proved too good for her in that quarterfinal match. And Astra Sharma getting through to the mixed doubles final. She yeah. is such a talent, that young lady. <laughs> she, I, I don't know much of, uh, much about her. And, and, you know, you throw in John Piers yeah. as well, reaching um, the, the doubles final. Um it, any time Australians do well at their home Grand Slam, you know, I think back to, um, I think it was 96, uh, you know, I made it through to the single semifinals. That was the one time that I was able to accomplish that feat. But I just remember the the, the support that was intensified. And, and obviously there's, I enjoyed a lot of support in my career, thanks to the doubles results. But, you know, any time you can knock it out the park on the singles court, um, it, I mean, and that is, you, you know, what, nearly 30 years ago as yeah. well. But um, I, I was there the night that Ash beat Sharapova and I, I was underneath getting ready to, to call the next match, the men's match that was out there. The stadium was throbbing. Yeah. I, I mean, it was remarkable. They're just the, the whole feeling around the grounds uh, when an Australian does well. What about the feel of the Australian Open? Everybody raves about it. It gets bigger year by year. Is it setting the benchmark for the other Grand Slams now? Because it wasn't always the case. No, no. And, uh, you know, on day one this year, I, I happened to uh, go by Kuyong, Um And I 
can't, I still, even now talking to you, I, I shake my head. I think, wow. It, I mean, it was such a, a small facility, mm. um, uh, but probably accommodated the Australian Open at the time. But in those days, fans just bought a ticket to watch the tennis. Fans today, they buy a ticket and they don't always sit and watch a complete tennis match. They want to be entertained with, uh, um, with the fanfare of, of how corporate it's actually the grounds have become. Um, it, it is remarkable. This year, that the, the new player facility, the pod um, that was uh, uh, finished in, on time, uh, the, the facilities underneath now are, are just quite remarkable. And yes... Now Australia is leading the charge with the facilities. Uh, we have, as far as the roofs, over for, for the last number of years as well. And some of the other Grand Slams are trying to play catch-up, um, you, you know, trying to implement um, the, the, the roofing and just the general player facilities, what we've um, led the charge with. Every day, Woody, when I walked in to work at the Open, I had to walk through Grand Slam Oval. And it struck me that it's become an atmosphere a bit like Flemington over the Melbourne Cup Carnival, that there are a lot of people there who would never actually see a tennis ball struck yeah. in anger, but they still want to be a part of the atmosphere and right. get the vibe of the place. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it, um, uh, it, you, you know, you walk around, you see these little little kids that have picked up a grounds pass and the excitement on their faces, but then you see the excitement uh, of, uh, you, you know, Fans that are coming in, that are that are just there for the evening or or, or the day, and they're going around to you, you know check out all the products and all the stalls that are there. You can get a great feed. It's you can be entertained with the music side. Uh, it, I mean, it is just pure entertainment now. Not not on the tenant, just on the tennis court. It's being entertained out on the uh, in the corporate area. And the video wall that they've now got on the main courts adds to the atmosphere. The the atmosphere before the Nadal Sitsipas semi final with all the light show and the laser show that went on before it. It's it's a real event now. It's not only a sporting event, but it's a real event that just captures people's imagination. Very few tournaments are able to provide that atmosphere where I, I, I really, you know, you see fans, they're coveting to get into the grounds and, and they just will sit even in Garden Square yeah. watching. They've got no, no problems that they're not going into the stadium because they can, you know, they're, they're, they're the feeling, the environment where they're sitting, watching on the big screen is, is what, what, what is, matters most for them. The one time I did see you, uh, we were a fair way apart. I was up the top in the commentary box and you were down on court for the Hall of Fame induction for Mary Pierce and Lee Nair. Yeah. And you stood amongst that collection of players, mm-hmm. some of the greatest names in the game. That must always be a brilliant moment for you to be in the company of such illustrious names in tennis. It, it is. It, it uh, is a a reminder and a, and a very welcome um, and warm um, feeling to, um, you, you know, have those invitations to attend uh, the, the induction ceremony, um, well, the announcement of um, the, the new um, Hall of Famers. And uh, uh, let, let me tell you, I, even before we walked onto the court, um, the joy for me to um, recognise 
not just the, the the Hall of Famers, but there's a good amount of them that are Australians, mm. and uh, um, it it is very special. Uh, I I had been talking to Mary Pierce. Uh, she and I work um, with the ITF uh, uh, with the board, and uh, um, I, I caught wind that. Um, there was to be an announcement for Mary, and uh, obviously she knew about it. So I, um, y- you know, it it meant something for her to be um, welcomed into the Hall of International Hall of Fame. Uh, so it, it is it's such a, a special group of players, and um, uh, you know it's nice nice that the Hall of Fame try to step up and not just highlight the new. Uh, inductees, but also the ones that, that we've been in the Hall of Fame for a number of years because there aren't too many events where um, perhaps some of the fans, they, they understand who is in the Hall of Fame. So I've always encouraged uh, um, uh, that the people who are working for the, the Hall of Fame in Newport Beach to have events like that and to to invite us that are in the Hall of Fame to w- help welcome in the, the new um, Hall of Famers. It's um, a fantastic way of uh, um, celebrating champions in tennis. That induction I saw a couple of weeks ago took me back to the night that you were inducted, and it was such an emotional night for you. Yeah, it, it happened. It happened quite quickly. I know that the match, similar to the circumstances with uh, for, for Mary and Lee Na, that the matches went on long that day, and so this the, the ceremony itself got squeezed. Mm. Um, you know what? Maybe it may have been a fifteen minute window down to five minutes, and um, the same thing happened that year with uh, with Todd and I. That uh, one of the the day matches had had carried on a little too long, but you, you know you kind of forget about it because you just walk out there on a cloud and you stay on that cloud. Uh, you, you know, it's a, a reflection of, you know, how well you've done in your career. And that's the point that I wanted to make about it. You can win individual titles along the way and as this show progresses, we'll talk about many of those. But an honour like that is for a lifetime. It's for a body of work rather than just the individual moments along the way. It, it, it is. The, the International Hall of Fame have... Um, Probably minimum requirements that uh, um, when when they put players on the ballot, and uh, you know it is the grand slams. It's not not just the grand slams, but to to have won slams multiple times, uh, represent your country, um, obviously at at Olympic level as well, Davis Cup, Fed Cup competition. Um, you know, it's it, it, as you say, it's it's a whole body of work, and uh, not sometimes not just what happens on the court. Um, either so, I, I feel very blessed that um, that that it, that it happened. Wow, in two thousand and ten. So uh, was it really that long ago? It doesn't seem that yeah. long ago. Yes, it was, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not far. It doesn't seem. Doesn't never strays far um, from my heart. Just one last point before we take our first break, and then we'll come back and talk about your background and how tennis became your life. The Davis Cup has created a lot of discussion. You're heavily involved in the revamp of the Davis Cup. It does have its critics, what's going uh, on at the moment. Can you briefly explain, for those people who don't know, what's the difference with the Davis Cup as it will stand compared to the way it has been? So the new format is being implemented this year, 2019. it, it will be a simplified version of what, what the competition used to be. Um, unfortunately, it suffered uh, greatly over the last uh, 20, 30 years. Um, uh, 
for a for an international competition, you'd like all the players to be competing um, for an honour uh, instead of just basing it on well, I'm not getting ranking points and I'm not getting financially rewarded. Um, so we're trying to encourage still that honour to play for your country. Um, the new format will is less time commitment for today's players. That was a problem for them in the past. Um, they st- we still retain the home and away format, which uh, will, will have taken place very shortly. And then the finals will take place in November. It'll be a true, true uh, World Cup competition. Um, uh, now the players know when they're playing. They know they may not know who they're playing because once they get to the finals, there will be um, 20 teams, 10 to 20 countries competing in the finals in a round-robin competition. But now they know there's a bit more assurance of where they're playing and when they're playing so that they can set their schedule up. The calendar is extremely crowded as it is um, with the, some new events that have come onto the calendar as well, have only added to um, the, the crowdedness. Um, but the ITF wanted to ensure the Davis Cup competition remains viable um, and uh, ho- hopefully it'll be an attractive asset for the players that they see um, that their career is not really complete if they're not out there playing Davis Cup for their country. I'd be lying to you if I said that all of the people that I spoke to during the Australian Open were in favour of it. What's the push? Why do you think this is going to be better than the old model? Well, the old model wasn't working, unfortunately. Um, You know, it's a little different here in Australia because we do things very, very well. I mean, just look at the the whole summer of tennis Um, and we do Davis Cup extremely well. We educate our players. They know about the historical aspect of Davis Cup, but that does not happen in too many other countries. Uh, Maybe some of the other Grand Slam wealthier nations are able to um, put on Davis Cup extremely well in their country, but there are many, many countries that suffer from playing Davis Cup. They're losing money. They're not able to pay their players. Um, and so they don't really participate fully or as in the best nature of the sport. So the ITF um, wanted to make sure that Davis Cup stays out there. In, in my time, Davis Cup was one of the great pillars of our sport, sat beside the Grand Slams. I would really dearly love to see Davis Cup be a part of a player's schedule. It hasn't always been that case over the last number of years, but this is just a, a, it's a, it's a move by the ITF to try to keep the Davis Cup competition relevant for today's players. It was such a big part of your life. When we come back on the other side of the break, I want to find out where it all began in sure. South Australia. And, of course, that partnership with that other bloke who's been a guest on this program yeah, in days gone by. Mark Woodford is with us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. It's great to have you with us as Mark Woodford is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Woody, take us back to where it all began in South Australia. <laughs> yeah, wow. As a, as a little kid, uh, red hair, freckles and, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, boy, I, I, I first got into tennis. My dad was a tennis coach. My mum played tennis at uh, South Park on Tennis Club. I have two older sisters and look, it was just, it was very natural. I mean, it wasn't, nothing was ever forced. Um, tennis wasn't forced upon us. For me, it was more that for, to get time with my father. 
he worked during the week. So uh, um, on the weekends, my mum would say, you know, I'll, t- I'll drop you down at the tennis club. And um, apparently he, I used to be a, a little bugger because I'd, I'd run. What do you mean you court. used to be a little bugger? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they say well, it's still a, a big one now. But um, they used to tie me to the, to the net post because I used to run onto the court and chase the ball and want to hit. And, and so I'd interfere with either dad coaching or if he was playing a, a, a couple of matches. So um, apparently they used to tie me off and uh, onto the net post. Um, but just gradually on the weekends, you know, would, would uh, it was fun to be down at the club um, with my mates playing tennis, get, get yelled at by my dad, you know, with, with the coaching lessons and uh, – um, I mean, it was a real family atmosphere, and it, it, uh, it's sad in a way because I don't think that it really happens. The club tennis seems to have um, disintegrated. It's just not not held in the the same regard anymore. But uh, you know, a lot of great memories, you know, back in Adelaide, and and then of course just being able to progress through it helped winning matches. I was one of the better juniors in Adelaide, um, but I grew up with you know, Darren Cahill was my best mate. Peter Carter was a great mate of mine. Um, Anthony Lane, there was a whole bunch of us that actually, you know, kept pushing each other. It was a real friendly rivalry that we had, um, just pushing the levels all the time um, and, and just kept us on track. Was tennis your only sporting focus? Did you play footy or anything like that? I did play footy. Um, at, at primary school, uh, I, I gave that up. Or Dad said, "Yeah, I don't think you should continue with that one, uh, uh, little fella." Because I, at practice one night, um, was was chasing the, an errant ball and uh, stepped up on a on a, a log or something and and slipped, uh, obviously with, the, with my footy boots on, and uh, came down on my arm and fractured my my elbow. So uh, Dad Dad was like, eh, "Lucky it was your right hand, not your left hand. That could have been the you know the end of tennis." I mean, I was I was only ten though, but not that I had a, you know, a tennis career going then. But he was like, "Nah, I'd, I'd um, you know, maybe stay away from footy." So I, I played like a couple of seasons, played cricket, played basketball. Um, Dad, Dad was always encouraging about playing a variety of sports. Um, you, you know, hoping I guess that tennis would would shine bright, which it which it did in the end. Speaking of footy, who's your team in the AFL? In the AFL is Carlton. Uh, back in How did the, that happen? Back in the SANFL. So you remember when it was, uh, you know, yes. the two separate competitions. So Glenelg was always my team yeah. uh, growing up. And there were a fair few uh, players from the Bay that would actually be drafted over to Carlton. So I, in the VFL at the time, I would follow Carlton because mm. they would have some of the Glenelg players competing. And then when it became the AFL, I obviously had that... Okay, so who am I? The Crows. Uh, uh, I still still followed Carlton, and uh, they're still still my team. And you know, Crows are are are, are second. You know, you know, but Carlton, I'm a Blues man. All right. Well, for your sins, there's no follow up with that way. No, like, you know, disappointed. Well, as a Collingwood supporter, I don't really <laughs> want to go there. But uh, anyway, let's get back to tennis because yeah. we're getting on very dangerous ground here. Uh, I often ask the question. Who was the first person who identified that you had enough talent to be able to make it in the big time? Hmm. Um, my first coach that I travelled overseas with, um, so I went through a period of um, self-doubt. I, I think that happens with uh, uh, with a lot of teenagers as they're trying to transition through. 
Um, there was a, a, a stage I've mentioned earlier that I was one of the best juniors in South Australia. But on the Australian junior rankings, I wouldn't have been inside the top 10. Um, the Institute of Sport was created based in Canberra. Um, and it was was hoping, aspiring to perhaps be uh, one of those athletes that would be invited. And I was overlooked. Um, some players behind me in Adelaide were chosen. Uh, Darren Cahill, Todd Viney, Peter Carter, Anthony Lane were all selected. And I used to, I was in front of those guys as far as the results um, on, on the board. So why were you overlooked? Because I wasn't, obviously, just they didn't think that I had the potential to be um, a, a world-class player. And it it knocks me. I, I was so crushed. My dad was a little ticked off. Um, but it provided, it, it provided that impetus. It, it created that impetus for me to, well, doesn't mean to say that I can't still continue on in this sport. So my, my f- dad was good friends with a, an ex-international player who from Adelaide, Barry Phillips-Moore. Um, and Barry and his wife, Anne, would take players that were not in the player development program here in Australia. They would take them away, private trip, learn to how to play tennis on clay in Europe. That's only where you played your tennis. And... Uh, you know, he just provided, a, you know, some some aid. So my first year, as soon as I finished high school, my parents sent me away with Barry and Anne. There was about five or six other Australian players. And I spent eight months away. I crossed paths, crossed paths in the first year with the group of players from the Institute of Sport. They were my mates. I was so jealous of them because they were getting free trips. My parents had to, you know, fork out hard-earned money to to send me away. Um, They never seemed to have to put their hand in the pocket. But it still created that desire that I wanted to try and be one of them. I wanted to to be a tennis player. I wanted to try and get into that squad. Um, You know, look, fast track, uh, you know, a few years. The person, one of the coaches at the time with the Institute of Sport was Ray Ruffles. Mm. He ended up being my coach with Todd Woodbridge for yeah. many, many years. And we used to have so many laughs because he would chuckle. Yeah, can you believe there was a time that I didn't think that you were going to be any bloody good? Yeah. <laughs> he said, how wrong was I? But, you, you know, look, I, there's no, um, you know, because he didn't, he just didn't see it at the time. And and uh, I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. In, in, in fact, I, I think it was a very – I took it as a positive. Um, it just – it helped me keep my head down. Um, and, uh, you, you, you know, look, what what you do as a junior is no reflection of what you're going to be doing as a as a professional. So um, because I wasn't selected in to the Institute of Sport, it just – it was like, okay, well, um, you know, that's, that's not the be-all and end-all of becoming a, an international tennis player. So um, I just took a, a different path to get to my goal. Rightly or wrongly, we obviously think of your association with Todd and we think of you principally as a doubles player because of all the achievements yeah. that you had. But you were a very good singles player. You won singles titles, as you said. You reached that semi-final at the Australian Open against Boris Becker in 1996. Uh, yeah. I guess you envisaged yourself as a singles player when you were embarking. I think we all were, all of us did uh, yeah. in, in that time. 
you know, and, and it's changed now. Um, maybe the approach for some players, they, they set out on the path to become a, a double specialist. But for, for myself was to be a tennis player. And that translated into singles, doubles and mixed doubles, if you had that opportunity. Um, yes, the, I, I probably, you know, even going back to the early stages, uh, playing satellites in, in Europe on clay, not successfully, but the success came from the doubles first. It helped cr- it build my confidence and that belief that if I could beat someone uh, with a partner on the doubles court, I could translate that into singles. Um, and, and yeah, it set, set me on, on the path uh, to transitioning from satellites up to um, playing challenges and, and, and then playing on the tour and, and ultimately performing at Grand Slam level. So doubles has always been very special to me. And um, I think both Todd and I, um, you know, would bristle at the times when, at times when we were coined doubles specialist mm. because it, it really couldn't have been further from the truth. Every week was singles for us. Um, we knew we were going to be better singles players because of that, the success that we had in the doubles. And I don't think I would have succeeded. Um, I mean, look, I, 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 my highest ranking was inside the top 20, number 19. So, uh, you know, I had a, a number of wins. I'm very proud of the wins that I had over former number one players. Um, I just didn't do it consistently, whether it's because my game was was built. I didn't have a big, powerful um, serve. I had to work extremely hard on the court, whether I was serving or returning. But those assets help um, you, you know, help me tremendously on the doubles court. As a supplementary question, Woody, do you think that we'll ever see the days where the top players play doubles, or are those days gone simply because yeah. of the money that's in the game these it's, days? It's a great question, Pete, and I, I just um, I'm so thankful that Mike and Bob Bryan um, for their success taking over the mantle of the doubles game, probably after the, after the Woodies, after Todd and I, um, the success that they have cre- uh, endured and, um, and hopefully there is much more success um, this coming year for them. But doubles would have drowned if it hadn't have been for the record-breaking success that they've had over the number of years. Um, I, I believe firmly that they would still be one of the best doubles teams out there if the likes of Federer and Djokovic and Murray and Nadal play doubles more consistently. I think there's a, um, at Grand Slams though, there's so much emphasis on the singles, um, financial reward, notoriety, um, that it takes away from the doubles. They just, those players aren't competing on the doubles court in fear that it'll affect their singles. Um, I, I, I'm sad about it. I, I, uh, you know, there are other tournaments. The Indian Wells event is usually the strongest doubles tournament throughout the year because everyone's trying to play. And with the shortened format that on the two, that exists on the tour now, it does provide the opportunity for the best singles players to get out there. I just wish it would happen more often and at Grand Slam level. Time for another break. And when we come back, let's devote a fair bit of time to your relationship with Todd. Mm -hmm. He's spoken about the fact that there were ups and downs along the way, as with any combination. We might touch on those when we come back with Mark Woodford. On the other side of the break, this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. 
It's great to have the great champion, Mark Woodford, on This Is Your Sporting Life. The Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Woody, let's talk about that great doubles partnership that you had with John McEnroe. Yes. Oh, I thought you were going to say Todd Woodbridge. I was like, ah, yes, I know. Ah. You did play with McEnroe, though. I did, you know, look, I, I've been very blessed uh, with doubles partners. Um, uh, I, I've always believed you've got to pair with someone that you enjoy spending time with. Um, there's no, it, it, I mean, if you didn't know that person, because you're going to be thrust together in big moments. So I wanted to know what they were possibly thinking and if they could verbalise it even better. Um, so I, very, very fortunate to have spent, you know, about 12 months uh, as as McEnroe's partner. I wish it could have gone on longer. Um, but, you, you know, that helped the springboard into the partnership with uh, with Todd, which lasted 10 years. But also got the chance to play with Martina Navratilova. Mm. You know, I, I here's me. I've played with probably the three three of the all-time great doubles um, athletes, John McEnroe, Todd Woodbridge, and Martina Navratilova. So, uh, you, you know, blessed, so blessed. Do you remember the first time that you and Todd spoke about becoming a combination? Where was it? Um, we played, our first tournament together was in New Haven um, in Connecticut. It was one of the tournaments leading up to the U.S. Open, uh, this was after I, John McEnroe had sat me down and said, uh, I, I've enjoyed playing with you, but I'm not going to be playing doubles as much uh, any, any longer. Um, and I think it would be better for you to find a more permanent partner. I think you should play with an Australian. I think you should look for a right-hander. I think you should try and explore someone a little younger than you so that y- you know you can perhaps pass on what you've learnt from me someone that you could aspire to play Davis Cup with and someone obviously that you feel can is at your level and that you can keep improving to win majors. I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, who's this? Who's that? I, I've got to go for, through a list of names. Wow, I've got to think of, oh, Todd Woodbridge. He, you know, he, he might be, you know, be that person. Todd and I knew each other because he was one of the, the youngsters at the time uh, in, in Australian tennis. We had the same manager. And, you know, I just, I asked him whether it was, he was looking for a partner. I, at the time, I didn't have a tennis coach. I had a physical trainer. I was trying to work on that side of uh, um, my, my game, fitness at the time. Um, and Todd had a coach and was looking for a, uh, to work with a physical trainer. So it was like this jigsaw mm. came together. But that tournament in New Haven was a shocker. We lost first round. It was awful. We were over and done within probably 45 minutes. We walked off the court and we were packing it because we thought Ruff was just going to blow his load at us. We thought he's just going to, you know, this verbal uh, barrage. He just walked up to us and started laughing and saying, well, that was pretty bad, fellas. (laughs) I think you should play next week because you could do a whole lot better than what you just showed me. And that very next time that we did play, we reached the semifinals and we instantly sensed something very special was there to worth persevering, playing a little longer and trying to build some momentum. And uh, um, I think the very next tournament we played, we ended up winning. So that, that really began the career of the Woodies. Of all of those magnificent victories, of all of the Grand Slams, 
what's the one when you close your eyes that you think you gain the most satisfaction about? Maybe the one one for me uh, that that stands that stand out. There is a lot that stand out. Um, I think when you, you treasure a partnership as dearly as as what I do for the uh, for, for the Woodies. Um, the Davis Cup final in in uh, 1999, we had. I mean, we had ruled ruled the doubles game for a number of years. We were the the number one team. We went through about a season where we really struggled. Um, things, I think, players started to adapt to uh, the way we played our brand. Um, both of us maybe a little bit of a confidence crisis with singles, and that affected our doubles. But we made it through. Australia made it through to the Davis Cup finals that year. We played France in Nice, and Todd and I had had really had a mediocre year. We had lost to the French pair several times along the way, and uh, I arrived in in France. I just um, was not striking the ball well. Todd was seeing it like a, a balloon. It was he couldn't miss. That gave me a lot of hope because of the partnership, the, the strength that existed between us. Nuke and Rochi were working me, work, trying to spend time with me, get my serve, uh, try to lift it. Um, we came out in that match and, and I just, I wasn't seeing it at, at, at all well. Um, we were down a set and a break, but we turned it around. We relied upon our partnership. We had Nuke on the sideline um, encouraging us to persevere, to tolerate the lows and, you, you know, just just trust yourselves. And we were able to turn that match around um, and, and end up winning, help Australia go up 2-1 in that particular match. But I, I, and, and look, the next day, Philippoussis came out and, and won the reverse singles and we, we ended up winning 3-1. But I just remember as we all, the team, were holding the Davis Cup trophy high above our head. And I said to Todd, this makes up for such a shitty year that we have had. This is going to stay in my, my heart for a long, long time. Um, because I think we started to doubt ourselves. Would, would, could we keep that high level that we had shown and displayed for, for so many years? That created the opportunity to bounce back in 2000, which ultimately was my final year of playing. But that one victory just laid the foundation for us to have get back to number one in 2000. And the last tournament, the, la the one jewel that was missing in the Woody's career was Roland Garros. If we had not won that Davis Cup match in the end of 1999, I don't believe we would have ever won Roland Garros. So, uh, um, that that match is significant for me. And what about three years previously when you're also representing your country and you earned that title that is so coveted in sport, Olympic champion? What was that like? Oh, that that was so so much uh, um, fun. And, and and look, fun is it sounds cliche. Um, we were that when we were under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, we knew that we were a favourite to win the gold medal. And, of course, you feel that pressure from Australia. 
um, even from the other athletes uh, in, in the village. But it was it was just brilliant to come back each day and have Australian athletes come up. You know, how do you still alive? You still going? Mm. It was like they they you know they were just nursing us along, um, and, and to finally win the, the the final match. The biggest problem Todd and I had was we we were asked whether we knew the words to the anthem. We both knew the first stanza, but we didn't know the. The second. Well, does anyone know the second one? Uh, no. <laughs> Even now, it's the first I've, I've got it down pat. So we actually, there's, I mean, it probably highlights our partnership. So we agreed, like, okay, you sing the first. I think I knew the first. Todd knew more of the second. So we were saying, okay, but we had to orchestrate this, that when we're up there, we just couldn't wait to get onto the podium, to have the medal draped around our neck and see that flag fly mm. and sing the anthem to the hilt. Didn't matter whether we were, um, you know, singing it brilliantly or not, but we just wanted to bellow it out. Um, it was uh, a, a highlight. Again, you, you know, we, we had so many moments together. It's really hard to bottle them up into, you know, one or two occasions. Um, and, and as Todd said, you know, our last match was in Sydney in 2000. We finished with a silver medal, and uh, um, but we both agreed that whilst we might have ended with a silver medal on the day, our whole partnership was like a gold medal to us. Yeah. Uh, we're just about out of time, and I wish we weren't because there's so much more we could talk about. So we'll take our final break, and we'll come back with some final thoughts. And I mentioned that relationship that you had with Todd. Yep. Um, when he was on the program, I described him as having a, a face like a choir boy, but... I also said that every now and then he could get a little bit feisty. We might touch on a couple of those moments when we come back with our final segment with Mark Woodford on This Is Your Sporting Life. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment with the great Mark Woodford on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Woody, we touched on your partnership with the other Woody. Yep. It had its ups and downs at times, as any relationship had to. Thankfully, we had more highs yes. than we did lows. Um, yeah, I mean, look, nine, ten years. Um, there were a couple of arguments along the way, and um, you know, we didn't have to play against each other too often in this on the singles court, uh, which which I, I believe is a, is a blessing. I think if we'd played a few more times. It might have stretched that, you know, our relationship. But How many times did you play, do you reckon? Oh, probably three or four times. And, and who had it? Who had the Todd, better Todd, on? Todd got the edge on me in, in the end. Uh, I, I think probably the first time, I, I want to say, that we played, I ended up winning and uh, it it hurt. Todd. It affected Todd. You know, he remember him sitting down in the, in the player area on his own and yeah, yeah, just... You know, it was very difficult to approach him for a couple of days. Um, so, uh, you, you you know, yeah, look, Todd, Todd, you know, it was like fire and ice. I think that was the, the combination between us, you know, lefty, righty. I'm from Adelaide. He's from Sydney. Um, I had a place in California. He had a place in Florida. Um, you, you, you know, I was a little older. He was a little younger. I had more patience. You know, he had had uh, less patience, but um, yin and yang. Yeah, it it. Um, but we were very competitive. We wanted to win on the singles court as well as the doubles court. So there, there were, yeah. That I, I think the 
greatest fear was having to play Todd in the in any singles tournament. Uh, you know, you look at the draw. You you know, a lot of players say, "Oh, they don't want to be playing the number one seed mm. or the number two seed." I'm scanning the draw, saying, oh, "I don't want to be playing Todd Woodbridge because I I wanted the relationship to, you know, to remain." you know, strong and, and fresh. That was what we were always concerned about was when we stepped onto the court that there was freshness there, that we could operate and that it it never never reached that tedious stage. And just on that choir boy look that I spoke about before the break. Yes. Uh, and he did admit this when he was on the show. He could blow a gasket, couldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not like McEnroe. No, uh, well, could anyone do it like McEnroe? <laughs> He, yeah, there, there, there were moments, uh, and that was probably, you know, I was less prone to um, having a volcanic er- eruption. Um, but there were times that, you know, it was, I don't want to say justified, but, you know, that's what, you know, Todd sometimes needed to, you know, get me going and, you, you know, kind of spit the dummy and it, it, it got my adrenaline, you know, moving and it was like, okay, I've got to be, you know, pay attention and, you know, okay, let's, let's go, let's go. But there, there were moments like I kind of like gritted my teeth. I'm like, oh, God, please, please don't, you know, don't lose it right now, Todd. We, we need to get through this. But uh, um, look, very, very, very few uh, discrepancies between us. And, and uh, you know, I, look, we, we communicated well on, the, on and off the court. Um, we, we didn't, in the end, have to spend a lot of time off the court with each other um, because I knew what Todd was going to be doing was to prepare himself to be in the best shape possible when time came. And he trusted me that I was going to take care of myself uh, when we had some downtime. So, again, it was all about, you know, what, what was existing on the court and, that's, that's what, uh, you know, lo- longevity. I mean, you know, these days, it's so very rare to see a partnership last, you know, nine, ten years. Um, they they have one loss and they end up playing with someone else for the next yeah. couple of months. One last question on your relationship. A lot of great sporting relationships over the years end with one person being a little upset by the fact that they're always recognised as part of the combination rather than their own single entity. Yep. When you talk about your career, it's inevitable that the partnership is going to be mentioned. Does that wrangle, wrangle you at all the, the fact that you are recognised as part of that great combination? Do you want to be known more as the individual tennis player? No, not at all. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of, of um, any recognition and and obviously it's heavily induced by the results uh, uh you know the woodies um i think i think our uh, legacy is the woodies yeah. um you, you know philippusis rafter hewitt individuals um but I, I think in australian tennis everyone is aware of um the woodies record um and and for the doubles our contribution to the doubles game so it it is gr- with great joy um when someone will walk past me and even if they turn around and say um you know you might hear is that mark woodbridge or is that todd woodford <laughs> or you know it it um yeah it doesn't i i i rejoice that people are still, you know, talking of uh, of the Woodies, and um, you know, we we are a part of, I think, the Australian tennis fabric. No question about that. One last point as we end our chat: you spend so much time overseas these days. Yes, is it good to be home? 
um, I wouldn't be able to survive uh, at all function if I, uh, you know, didn't uh, couldn't couldn't be coming back. And you know, I think the world is a lot smaller uh, these days, so jumping on a plane is uh, less of a task. Um, but you know, my wife's American. I've got uh, we have a couple of daughters. Uh, um, I'm, I'm thankful that they are always you know enjoy coming home uh, here to Australia. I, I I love it when I come. I just wish that I got to spend more time back home in Adelaide with not just with family, but but with friends who are, have meant so much to me in um, you know in my fifty two or fifty three years that I've been uh, uh, alive. But uh, yeah, I, I miss I miss spending time back in Adelaide. Always good to see you here uh, when you come back and hopefully we'll spend some more time together at Australian Opens and various tennis events around the world. Woody, congratulations on a great career and thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy. Mark Woodford joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back with another edition of the program same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.